Let's get into some word. If you brought your Bible with you today, go ahead and get that out. Or look on your phone if you're not a Bible toter, if you're a phone carrier. Uh, and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Today I want to continue with what I started last week. And our text here is 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and beginning in verse 1. Let's read this again. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Should we all be made known about the grace of God? Yes. yes. Yeah. Okay. Now, now those who I'm not looking at, you guys, what it looked like to me when I said that is everyone in here, but I used my peripherals. And I saw everyone here going, yeah. And I saw everyone on the side just going, he's not looking at me, so I'm not responding. <laughs> Should we be made known, be made aware of the grace of God? <laughs> Verse 2, that in great trial of affliction, the, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. This is a common principle that you'll see in Scripture. Uh, it shows where something is a great deficit. When God comes in, it, it flips it over on its head. Okay? They had deep problems, great affliction, great persecution, took all their money away. Yet the grace of God came on them and it turned their lives around. They became what they weren't. They were able to do what they couldn't do. All right. He says in verse 3, For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. And so this, again, this is characteristic of a true connection with God is that things happen in your life that are unexplained from a human perspective. It's beyond what you can do. It is, you've entered, you've crossed over into the God arena, all right? And, and if we don't ever have that, how do we know we're even connected to God? How do we know we're not just involved in some funky religion, some powerless form of godliness, right? We've got to have God moments. We've got to have God, obvious God connections. If you don't have that, he wants you to have it, all right? Uh, and so they went beyond their ability, verse 4, imploring with us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. So they're begging them, come on, you guys, come on, Paul, take this money. You know someone's having an experience with God <laughs> when they are imploring someone to take their stuff. I mean, Right? I mean, usually it's the other way. People say, don't go over there. They're, <laughs> they're going to take your stuff. <laughs> they just want your money. People use it as a way to keep people away from church. It just shows, now watch, it shows God's grace is not on them. Because when people are afraid and they say, afraid of what? Afraid of giving? You obviously don't know God. And that, at least in that area, you don't know him very much. Because you wouldn't be afraid of that. You would be you would be wanting the Lord to direct you to do that. Yeah. If you knew him, 
All right. And in this case, these guys under great persecution and affliction, they're saying, come on, you guys got to take our money. Please take our gift. Please, we're imploring you, take it. Why? The implication is someone might look at their situation and go, oh no, you should probably keep this. You should probably use this for yourself. They said, no, 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 don't, don't do that. We've got to do this. Okay? So that's, a, that's the grace of God on someone. And verse 5, and not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. We, so we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. So God's grace then enables people to give generously. When the grace of God is on someone, uh, they are moved to be like God in that area. Uh, someone might, you might think, well, you know, since we started off this new project, uh, you might logically conclude, uh, based on last week's teaching about poor people giving, that maybe pastor, uh, now I didn't hear this from anyone, but I'm, I, I try to get in your head. <laughs> pastor, that might not be the best strategy. Because <laughs> if you got all the poor people to give, you would only have a little amount. <laughs> but my, my teaching and my presentation is not, I do not approach this from as, as a strategy to accomplish something uh, other than the will of God. You understand what I mean? And, and, and telling poor people it's the will of God that you give does not result in a large amount of, of money, but it results in their life being changed. God wants to get people out of their poverty. Amen. On whatever level that is. I mean, in some parts of the world, poverty is, you know, you're, you don't have enough food in your belly. In other parts of the world, poverty can manifest. You can't make your car payment or your house payment or you're always behind or you have credit card debt. How I many know that's poverty at work? Yeah. It, may be, it may be somewhat connected to poor decision making, but that's how po prosperity and poverty work. When someone has, is prosperous, they think better concerning money. When someone is, has poverty working in their life, uh, then it's not only that they have maybe not a great income, but they don't know what to do with what they have. The blessing of God is not on their mind when they're making decisions. Does that make sense? Yeah. The blessing of God on people enables them not only to receive good things, but to handle them properly. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, I didn't plan on saying that. But, uh, but the grace of God on these churches enabled them to give generously. See, this tells me that let me, let me explain this first. God's grace is not just for salvation. When you study the subject of the grace of God, which is not our primary topic, but you'll see that God's grace will save you, give, forgive your sins, give you eternal life. God's grace will heal you. God's grace will give things to you. God's grace goes beyond a gift, though. God's grace is also enablement. God's grace is empowerment. God's grace enables a person to function in a manner that they could not function without that grace. Okay, in this level, all of us are using the grace of God on some level. We are already using it in some area of our life. 
Sometimes we don't give God credit for it. We just think, I worked, I studied, I practiced, or I just have a natural gift. No, that's the grace of God in your life, whether it came through your physical birth or whether it came later, it's a gift of God. That is an aspect of God's grace. Just like we read here, the grace of God was manifested in these churches, not in salvation. If you're in church, meaning not just in a building, but you're in the church, you're already saved. Grace has already forgiven you. Grace has already made you alive inside. You've been born again. The grace of God on them enabled them to act in a manner that was inconsistent with their own ability. It went past it. In their case, they gave. They were super generous because God was on them. All right, so if I say, I have a wonderful relationship with God, we're like, "Mm, we are tight. I am just loving God's grace. But the end result is not that I act like God. Then I'm not as graced as I think I am. The grace of God enables me to to act in a manner that is consistent with the character and nature and will of God. The grace of God will turn me into a giver, not a taker. The grace of God removes stingy and and imparts generosity. That's one manifestation. So when someone is, uh, you know, supposedly coming into a revelation of God's grace and all they see is, I'm, I'm, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace, I'm no longer required, now I'm free to do anything I want. Uh, they're missing something there. See, uh, God's grace doesn't empower nothingness. It doesn't enable someone to be unfruitful or lazy or not, participant, not participating in, in the, the Spirit. It enables them to do that. Okay, you're all looking at me like a cow to Newgate. Uh, years ago, quite a few years ago, I was teaching, not this subject per se, but I was teaching about the grace of God. And in that context, I converged to talk about giving up for, for a little bit. And my point in that message, all these years ago, is probably 15 years ago or so, uh, My point was that we don't give out of law, but that we are under grace. The outward view of that might look the same, but the inward motivation is completely different. I was teaching the difference between paying a tithe and giving a tithe. Paying is old, giving is new. All right. In that context, I said, you don't have to tithe. I said, and then I emphasized, this is something we do by faith. I wasn't telling people not to do it. I was saying, don't do it out of a have to. Come into the new covenant. Does that make sense? And I was teaching that. And I would even say things like, you don't have to go to church. Some people are just doing it out of law. Do it out of a want to. Do it out of a value system. Do it out of a relationship. It might look the same on the outside, but one person could be here totally out of guilt and condemnation. And another person comes because they they value it. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, uh, one person... They told me about another guy. This church was a lot smaller than, so I knew all the people involved. He said, yeah, this other guy, I won't call his name, but he, he said after that message that he was done tithing. He said, because he heard from you, he found out he didn't have to. And I thought, okay. I said to the guy, I said, you realize he missed the point, don't you? He said, yeah. But that guy, literally, that's how he took it. It's like he'd been doing it like under obligation all this time, I guess. And he thought, I just got free from it. 
And, and, and so he stopped. And what happened was it wasn't too long after that where he stopped coming to church. Remember Jesus taught the thing about the heart and the treasure? How you're, where your heart is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. He moved his treasure and then his heart went out in the world too. And so that was the end result. And I'm saying, if that's the end result of any message or, or thing that we believe, we got to know that's just the wrong message. One way you see if something's of God is it's written directly. It's concretely laid out in scripture. Another way that you can really discern whether something is a, a truth, whether it's of God, is, the, is what it produces. And if a message continually produces the wrong thing, you have to go back and analyze and say, is that even a correct message? Is that, is that right? If, it, if the message leads people to be loosey-goosey with their morals, and yet they call it grace, I'm saying you, you're misinterpreting grace. If a message inter it results in people being less like the Father, less generous, I'm saying you might have the wrong message here. Does that make sense? Okay. And so uh, anyway, grace, again, is not just about receiving. It's about empowered acting. Uh, I like the New Living Translation of verse 6. It reads, so we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. So this ministry of giving is the same phrase in the New King James as complete this grace in you. So you see what Paul's doing? He's not writing to the Macedonians, he's writing to the Corinthians. And in the Corinthians, to the Corinthians, he's saying, let me tell you about the Macedonians, the various churches in that region. Let me tell you what they, what they did. Why would you tell the Corinthians about the Macedonians? Because the Macedonians were excelling in an area that the Corinthians were not, even in great affliction, because they're saying, oh yeah, those Macedonian churches, they're really, going, they're really under the gun. They're, they're suffering. And they did what? What he's doing is giving them an illustration to say, you guys are coming behind those and you're way better off than them. What are you thinking? You think you're all under grace over here. No, you're not. They're under the grace of God. They are letting God's grace work through them. And so he says, Titus, he's the one who told you this in the first place. And now I want Titus to go remind you. So you complete this. It's one thing to begin on the right path. It's another thing to continue. You can get on the freeway and head to your destination, but along the road, there will be, be many off-ramps, right? The golden arches might call you, right? <laughs> Something else might be calling your name to get off your, your route, and then you won't ever reach your destination because, you know, you're eating that sausage, sausage and egg and cheese McGriddle. <laughs> Was that a moan? Uh, okay, let me go back to this. Here's the phrase in here that, that really stood out to me is the emphasis of what I believe the Lord wants us to, to get, wants me to communicate, is this how they first gave themselves. So God's grace was on them, and in the empowerment of God's ability, they were, enable, they were able to say, Lord, we give you not just our offerings, we give you ourselves. We give you our whole lives. We belong to you. And so the dedication of ourselves to the Lord and his purposes sets the stage for anything else he wants to do. Here's the trouble. Sometimes we want to do something for God without him having us. 
without him having the very core of our being. And then we're going to, I'm going to do this for the Lord. I'm going to give this to him. I'm going to serve him in this area. And it's all just piecemeal. It's just little parts of our lives. Instead of saying, Lord, I'm, uh, I'm giving you me. Now, if there's anything you want me to do, the answer is yes, because you have me. But if I'm trying to say yes to doing something and he doesn't fully have me, then that's going to be difficult. In other words, I'm not fully operating in his grace to do these individual parts or components. He needs to have my heart. He needs to have me. And that's how these Macedonians got it right, because before they gave their offering, they gave themselves to the Lord and to the apostles. And so uh, when I think about the Lord and what Jesus did for us, of course, he didn't come. He didn't, he didn't die so he could get my money because he didn't need it, right? But what, what did he die for? Because he wanted to have me. He loved me. How many know anything I can produce for God? Anything I could buy him? Anything I could give to him, anything I could do for him is just pittance compared to the one who can create galaxies, right? I mean, nothing I can do could be of that value, that, that level, that measure at all. But what matters to him is I give him me. And that's what he wanted. That's who he loved, not just our stuff. Now think about this word then they gave themselves, or we could use the word dedicate that I'm using. Uh, I looked up the, the Hebrew word for, for dedicate, and it means, you, this is one way to say it, to set apart from a profane to a sacred purpose. Okay? A, a study of various passages will show that that word, it can also be translated sanctify. It, it means to set apart from other use to God's use. And this is something that I believe is supposed to happen in us after he has us. So I give him me. Now I can, from that position, take whatever he directs, whatever my faith can do. I take things that had a common use or you could say a profane use. And I say, Lord, I'm going to dedicate this for your purposes. Now it becomes significant. Now it becomes holy. Now it becomes something usable in his hands. All right. Second Corinthians five says that we're made the righteousness of God in Christ. Why are we made righteous uh, in Christ? The reason ultimately is so that we can serve him in an acceptable way. In sin, I can't bring forth anything pleasing to God. But after I receive the sacrifice of his son and made new and made acceptable, now I can do acceptable things. Everybody with me? Okay, think about this. Uh, this is kind of another subject, but I'll just squeeze this in here. Um, partly another subject. Uh, there's a belief that God accepts everything and everyone. Everyone's accepted. Everything, no matter what you do, it's all good. It's not all good from God's perspective. Because if it were all good, he wouldn't have sent Jesus. Say, so, well, he accepts everyone. Then why did he send Jesus? Why didn't we all just say, here I am. Take me the way I am. 
No, because we could have done that without Jesus dying on the cross. Jesus shed his blood so we could be made acceptable. Now, he loves the unacceptable. That's why he sent Jesus to shed his blood so we could be made acceptable on his standard. So we're made a certain way so that we can do acceptable things. The blood of Jesus washes me clean. Now I can offer sacrifices to him that are pleasing. Meaning, take what I have, what I can do, might be my... My ability, which is really his, but my ability, my money, my time, my life, and offer it to him, it goes from common profane use to holy use. Then it takes on eternal significance and eternal value. Okay, listen to these two verses. Uh, Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace, there's that word again, grace, by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So there's a way to serve God that's acceptable, which implies there's a way to serve God that's not acceptable. But if you have grace, you can do it in the right way. You can serve God in an acceptable manner. 1 Peter 2.5 reads, You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Everybody say, I'm a priest. I'm a priest. Yeah. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So one of the things that we do as believers is we offer up sacrifices to God. Just like in the Old Testament, it would be animal sacrifices for the sins of the people. Now Jesus is the final once and for all sacrifice for our sins. But we offer up sacrifice of praise. We bring our offerings to the Lord. There are things we still take that are in our control, in our power. And we're, we're not covering our sin. Jesus did that. But we're saying, Lord, I'm giving this to you. I offer this up to you. I'm, I'm, I'm taking this and I'm making it holy. You can do that with your voice, right? You can sing about all kinds of worldly things or you can sing the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Then your voice just became acceptable to him. Amen. Hallelujah. So God's grace then is upon us to first give ourselves to the Lord. We first give ourselves. His grace, let me say it the opposite now. His grace is not on me to live for myself or do my thing. If my uh, goal, my focus, where my energies go are all to live my dream, to do what I want, if, my, if that's my focus, I'm, I've left the grace of God and I'm on my own. He's not on me to do my thing. He is on me to do his thing. I first give myself, then I, then I give anything I can give to him. But uh, I get to do, let me say it this way. If I'm doing my thing, my life is about my will, my plan, my dream, my goal, my, it's all me, me, me. I've left the grace of God. And so I get to do this. I get to pursue these things with my ability, with my provision, and end up getting my reward. And that's, I'll explain that reward. I get my, instead of his ability, his provision, and his reward. You've heard God's will, God's bill? 
my will, my bill. If I live to do my thing, I get to finance it. And why, in other words, and why would the Lord assist? Why would he uh, finance? Why would he strengthen me just to do something that doesn't matter? Doesn't matter to him. Doesn't matter in eternity. It's totally apart from his plan and purpose for my life. Why would he aid that? Does that make sense? I don't mean he cuts us off and stops loving us and, and he leaves us. No, he'll never leave us or forsake us. But if I'm just pursuing the opposite of him, then I'm not entering into his grace for that area. Someone said, well, life is hard. No, don't say it. I mean, someone said that. Someone other than you said, life is hard. Well, the scripture says the way of the unfaithful is hard. Right. Or the way of the transgressor is hard. So if that's ever my, my, my mentality, well, you know, life is just hard. That is true for those who are unfaithful. Yeah. So instead of saying, woe is me, say, huh, am I pursuing his purpose and plan or am I just on my own agenda? Because yeah. that's going to produce a hard life. By the way, with some people, they could be very wealthy and it still be a very hard life. It's not always just in every area. Sometimes people are extremely successful in the eyes of people and miserable. I've got to pursue his agenda. This is the, the thing that makes his grace come upon me. You might recall uh, when Jesus was teaching, it's recorded in Matthew chapter six, and he was talking about people uh, praying and fasting and giving, giving alms. And he said, when you do these things, remember he said, go into the secret place, go in your prayer closet, all that. Go, go do these things privately so that your father in heaven who sees, he will reward you openly. In other words, he, he in essence was saying, if you do these things and you want someone to know, I gave, I prayed, I fasted, I'm spiritual, I'm committed, I'm holy. He says, the fact that they know it, that's the reward you're going to get. They'll go, wow. And then they'll move on. They'll go, yay, you're awesome. And they'll move on. And there's your reward. You're done. But rather, if you do things with a consciousness of God that he sees me, I'm doing this for his purposes. I'm living his life. Then that reward is known by him and known forever that you did it. And you enter into the provision, the grace of God. You enter into the ability of God and you enter into eternal reward. That reward will manifest in this life and it will manifest in eternity. That's why, man, this is such a big, a big thing and so important that we have an eternal uh, consciousness. A God consciousness, an eternity consciousness. People who are just living for themselves, come on, think about it. You could die today. It's over. And the only thing that matters is what you did for eternity. I'll say sometimes your relationship with God. But it, it, is, it is about pursuing His purpose. It's the only thing that's going to last. Amen. I think this is real important. I'm not here to endorse my plan for my life. God is not here to endorse my plan for my life. I'm here to do his will. I want there to be, if I could create something to snap my fingers and make it happen, 
I would want there to be in our church consciousness of God in all that we do. Coming to church, serving the Lord, giving, worshiping, living for Him day to day, consciousness of Him in our marriage, our home, our family. Consciousness of God. I'm aware of Him and not so much aware of everybody else. Not so concerned about what other people think. Not so caught up with performing or pleasing other people, what they think of me, but pleasing God. How I many know with Jesus, his ministry, he was loved by many and he was also despised by many. And he's Jesus. He's like extremely likable. Right? I mean, he's the nicest guy you've ever met. And some people hated his guts and persecuted and attacked him. And that's Jesus. And he didn't really care. I mean, he loved them all, but you don't like what I'm doing? I'm, he was conscious of the Father's will. He said in, in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7, that he basically came, he said, to do your will, O God. I have come to do your will. If we're God conscious, then that's what matters. I'm going to do the will of God. And if someone else doesn't like it, then that's okay. That's, that's on them. But I'm aware of the Lord. Amen. Anything we do that comes out of the place of giving our full life to Him is acceptable, empowered, financed. It's, it's all good. If it comes out of that place, I've given Him my whole life, therefore, He can have everything. One of the, one of the challenges that we face personally, and as a pastor, I can see this, and you could talk to other pastors uh, around the world and see the same thing is that many times when people are really blessed by God, it's not demonic, it's the Lord. They're blessed, they're best blessed financially, they're blessed with opportunities, they're blessed with mobility, uh, that sometimes they get, they become too busy for his things. And some would look at that and say, yeah, you just need to get rid of all that filthy money. No, you don't. It's the blessing of God. You should use it for the right purposes. I don't want to get rid of a blessing from God. I'm not going to start preaching poverty because someone did the wrong thing when they got rich. Because poverty is a curse. But it's something we, we should be aware of. The scriptures not only have an abundance of, abundance of, of passages about how God wants to bless people financially and material. There's also probably equal, I don't know, I don't, haven't done the math there, number of verses that warn people about the dangers of it. We should be conscious of both sides. I'm not going to go into poverty because it's dangerous. No, I want to live in the blessing of God and handle it properly. It's kind of like uh, in my limited number of trips uh, into various countries that are less well off than ours is, uh, third world, as we call them sometimes, uh, you'll find, Pastor Bill has seen this in Africa, and, uh, uh, that many times you do a church service or you do a evangelistic campaign out in the jungle or something like that, people will come from far and wide and flock to the place and stay as long as you want them to stay and probably longer than you want them to stay. <laughs> and they just come. You don't have to, I mean, the word has to get out somehow, but it's, it's not like pulling teeth to get people to come to church and to come to these meetings. They come. You know one of the reasons why they do that? Because they don't have anything else to do. But they come, and God 
shows up. They didn't have anything else, so they came. And they looked to the Lord and got healed and got delivered and got saved and got set free. And a mighty move of God changed their life. What, what, what's the problem? Say, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that at all. What's wrong with, with us sometimes is we have 10 things to choose from. And it's like, well, I can go to church or I can go to Hawaii or I can play golf or I can do this. And I'm not saying those things are wrong. I like golf and Hawaii. Maybe golf in Hawaii. I don't know. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's the blessing of God, but sometimes we don't handle the blessing of God well. In other words, when the blessing of God comes, the things of the Spirit, the things like church and ministry, it gets put in the back seat with so many of us. And you talk to any pastor, and, you, and they'll tell you the same thing, that you will see that the more people are blessed, that often the things of God, they're just not around as much anymore. They have ability and freedom to travel and go, and they do it. Amen. Hallelujah. Am I getting too uh, riled up about that? Here's my point. There's nothing wrong with it inherently to go and do what you can do, and if you have money, spend it, and whatever. I'm just saying we have to be on guard that we don't take the blessing of God, and then the things of the Lord are now unimp unimportant to us. We've got a thousand places to go, and, and if we can, we will, and if we have time, we'll squeeze church in. That is not yielding to the grace of God. That's taking what the Lord has blessed you with and using it for common things. Hallelujah. It's a consciousness of people that we have to be aware of. Uh, do they like what I'm doing? Do they approve? Do they see what I'm doing? How, how many, you know, I mean, if I have you raise your hand, it might defeat my point. But how many people have done things, you've given, you've served, you've prayed in such ways that no one ever knows? I mean, people don't have a clue. And at times you've thought, if they only knew what I did, they would appreciate me more. Listen, be conscious of God. Be okay with no one's going to ever know. Well, if they knew how, much, how big of an offering I gave towards the new building project, they would really, they'd give me a front row parking spot. Okay, but here's the thing. That would be your reward. All eternity, you'd talk about your parking spot. While others are, are robed in their reward. Because they'd be telling, you'd be telling, you'd be telling me, I got that parking spot. I got that parking spot. I gave the big offering. They gave me a parking spot. And, and, then, and then someone else would come over and say, you, you want to happen to me? Is I gave that too. And I didn't get the parking spot. And your reward will be evident and it'll be eternal. Hallelujah. I'm saying if people do us wrong, I mean, who, no one likes that. But what does the Lord think about my heart, about my thoughts, about my motives, about my actions? I've you know how people get mad at you and they don't even know you prayed for them for an hour. Well, I can tell you this from a ministry perspective. That's happened. It's like if you only knew how much, you know, blood, sweat and tears I poured out for your life. You're mad at me. It's like. But then he said, no, Lord, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do because it pleases you. If people understand it, fine. If they don't, that's OK. They don't get it. I seek to do your will, O oh God. Amen. With that heart, you can't lose. Yeah. 
Amen. I just, I just want to do the will of God. And this is that word, dedicate. I give you, say, what are you dedicating to the Lord? Me. And then out of that position and that relationship, if he wants my time and my money and my prayers and my faith and my service and my, my calendar, anything, well, he's, he's, he gets to make that call anytime. Because I belong to him. Amen. Praise God. Let's not hold, back, hold anything back. It's really not worth it. Father, thank you for working in here today.